So I want to thank you for being here this morning, worshiping together with us today. Welcome everyone watching us online. You just continue to uh, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us as a church family. We consider you part of the family as you log on and participate with us. So uh, we're, we're in for a good word from the Lord today. We're finishing up the series, six weeks on a series entitled The Best Course. And the scripture text for this has been in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, where it tells us that from the tribe of Issachar, this is referring, that entire chapter is talking about David's collectively, his army and all his different teams of people that are around him. And it says from, from the different tribes, but from this particular tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders and their families, and they all understood the times Understood, they understood the signs of the times, and they knew the best course for Israel. I also firmly believe that as being a born-again child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, we can also know the signs of the times that we are living in. We can be in, in tune with what's happening uh, with, with the culture, the different signs of the times. But more important than that is just from a heavenly perspective, from a God perspective, are we in tune with the seasons, the times that we're living in from a kingdom perspective? And I say, yes, we can know that and also, not only did they uh, understand the signs of the times, they knew the best course. Everyone say the best course. You know, there's a lot of diversity. Matter of fact, so many people, when you talk to people, you absolutely you can just look in their eyes and say they're absolutely dazed by all the diversity. There's just so many options, so many choices, and, and, and so uh, But we don't need to be dazed by diversity. We can know the very best course for our lives to take, both... Uh, individually for, for personal lives, but we can also know from a kingdom perspective as, as the body of Christ, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what, would she, what should we be doing collectively? How can we be the salt and the light that we are ins instructed to be? So we're finishing up on that this morning. And we also looked at Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, where we are told that, uh, that this is, we are told what the Lord requires of us. And there's three things in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And the first one says, this is what the Lord requires you, number one, to do what is right, talking about justice and equity. Number two, to love mercy. And number three, to walk humbly with your God. So uh, we kind of didn't take these in order. We talked about mercy. Then we talked about uh, last week about humility. And today we're going to focus in on the first one says that this is what the Lord requires of you to do what is right. Everyone say, I can do what is right. I can do it. We can do what is right. We can be equitable. We can, we can uh, walk in justice and equity in every arena of our lives. And so, as we focus in on doing the right thing at the right time, being at the right place at the right time, doing the right things at the right time, I want you to know that there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 5. Before you just check out and say, well, you know, that's, that's above my pay scale. I don't, I don't need to be doing what's right all the time. I need to have some fun in life, or I don't, need to be, I don't need to be the one that's always being just and equitable. Other people bear responsibility as well. But in Ecclesiastes, verse 8 and 5 tells us that the wise will find a time 
and way to do what is right. So unless you consider yourself not being wise, you have a way, you have a way to do, you have a way and a time to do the right thing. How many times do you say, well, I should have, but I just didn't have time. I should have, but I was busy. I should have, but I should have. Well, we have the time. So that's what we want to uh, encourage ourselves in today in, in doing the right thing. Also, in the book of Judges, chapter 17 and verse 6, Scripture tells us that in those days, it's talking about the days of Israel before they had a king, said they had no king. And all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. We're not talking about that type of doing right. We can't just have everybody having their own opinion and, and, and there's no standard. We have standards when we're talking about doing right, when we're talking about being just, and when we talk about being equitable. And that standard comes from, from a kingdom of God principles. And they come to us from the word of God. And so that's why we have the word in, in Proverbs chapter one. The first couple of verses are very clear. And that's why I just enjoy the book of Proverbs. I want to encourage you if you ever just like, you know, I know I should read the scripture more, but I just don't know what to read. Well, until you settle in on just really knowing what you're supposed to be reading and studying, uh, just consider reading the Proverbs. Just give yourself a, a daily a, a diet of uh, reading the Proverbs. They're so filled with practical wisdom, filled with justice and equity and, and uh, just practical insights and in, in relationships and stewardship and just, just, just it's, it's, it's filled with practical wisdom for everyday life. And the first couple of verses introduce it as such. In verse 1 of Proverbs 1, it says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise their purpose is talking the purpose of the Proverbs, purpose of the scriptures. You can put it, you know, you can, it can include the, enti the, the entirety of the word of God. But their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. To help them do what is right, just, and fair. So God's not asking us to do what is right, just, and fair, to be innocent and equitable in all of our dealings with him and all of our dealings with one another in relationships and stewardship and just in, in every arena of life. But he's given us the aid of, of his word. He's given us the, the guardrails, so to speak. And he's also given us of his Holy Spirit to be leading us, guiding us, and directing us empowering us. He's given us a, the, the grace that, that enables us to do what he expects us to do, doing that which we cannot do on our own. But I want to share this morning a little bit about the story that you're familiar with, and it's, it's David and Saul. And it's, uh, it, it, I, I think this little, uh, the little portion that we're going to look at today it helped me, and I think it'll help you as well. How do you deal with, uh, when, when you're dealing with conventional wisdom, and when it uh, intersects with the wisdom of God, but they're going in opposite directions? You know, sometimes when we're living in life, we have what we call cult cultural norms. There's certain things that are, there's certain etiquettes that are expected of one another, just certain common sense principles that, that we're trained in and developed in. 
But there's also times when, when, uh, when the word of God goes contrary to the things that we would consider cultural norms, uh, economic norms. When you just, uh, uh, you know, talking about stewardship, when, just, when it comes to our finances, you know, when you go talk to, when you go talk to just a, a financial planner, or you even try to do your own financial planning, just go through your budget and say, this is my income, these are all my expenses. But, you know, God's word says this is your income, and, and your first thing is to give the first fruits unto the Lord. Well, that doesn't make sense in, in the natural realm. But there's a, a godly norm that's give first unto him, then he will supply all of your need. Now, just relax. We're not going to talk the rest of the morning about finances, but that's, you know, just... Make a note of that and think about that. I'm, I'm giving you an illustration of when the, the cultural norms and academic norms are, are, are realities, but there, there's a, a, a higher reality, and it's called the, the wisdom of God. So in 1 Samuel chapter 24, just let me read the first couple of verses of this, and then we'll backtrack a little bit and give, give you a little bit of a background on it. But it says uh, in, in verse 1, it says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of en, en, en Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding Father, back in that very cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's garment. But when David's, but then David's conscience, I would say conscience, you know, conscience is a good thing to keep in check here when we're talking about doing that which is right, just, and equitable. Let's not be violating. So David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's rope. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king, he said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you this morning that as we look into the word of God, speak to us, Lord God, truth. Let us hear truth. Let us be able to apply the truth that we are hearing today, Lord God, that we may be men and women that are doing the right thing. We are being just. We are being equitable in all of our uh, dealings with uh, other people, and we are being just and equitable in your eyes as well. We thank you, and we give you the honor, give you all the glory. Amen. So if you remember... Uh, this story, to whatever degree, some of you may know it as, you know, you remember uh, David uh, came, came out and, and killed Goliath. Well, Saul was king at that particular time. Israel was in, a, was in a standstill with the Philistines, and David came out on the scene. He ended up taking out Goliath. And, and uh, David just immediately, David had been anointed by Samuel even right before this. He was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel, but... Saul was still on the throne. It's one of those kingdom of God principles where already, but not yet. 
already anointed to be king, but not yet on the throne as king. Saul is still the king, but David is anointed to be the king. And then you see that many times playing out in our lives as we have promises of God's word. And so it's already been promised, not yet manifested. That doesn't mean it's not real. doesn't mean it's not true. It, it is a promise. It's something you can believe in. You can have faith in it. And it's not manifested. That doesn't mean it's not real. You still continue to believe and, 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 and to draw on that until it becomes a reality in your life. So Saul's anointed to be king. But, uh, excuse me, David's anointed to be king. Saul's still on the throne. David ends up being the one that takes out Goliath and, and all of Israel's rejoicing. And David just immediately won over the hearts of the people. I mean, every, every social media platform just went bonkers, you know, with a yay David, yay David. You know, we like David. There were songs written about David. I think there were rap songs about Saul slew his thousands, but David slew tens of thousands. You know, it just had to be a rap song. It just it doesn't, it doesn't make, you know, how else would you sing that, right? <laughs> so anyway, he, he won the people over. And Saul became very, very jealous of David. David continued to be a person of integrity. He continued to be a man that, that would do things justly and equitable in, in, in his dealings with Saul. David was a great warrior. Saul was a great warrior, but David would go out to battle and he would just have tremendous success. And, and Saul just continued to grow in his envy and jealousy and rage over David. At one point, we see in the scriptures how Saul was very, very distressed and he called David in and, and David's playing the harp for him and, and, and you're trying to calm him down. And while he's, while he's leading this moment of worship, worship Saul in in his fury and in his anger and in his jealousy, he just, he just takes his spear and he throws it at David trying to kill him. Trying to kill him. Bobby, you had experience leading worship, but you know, I think you're smart enough to know that when you're leading worship and people th start throwing spears at you, it's time to leave the platform, <laughs> right? It's, it's time to leave. You don't hang around. And there's other lessons we could learn from that as well. You know, you don't have to complain to the pastor about the choice of worship songs or whatever. Just throw a spear at the worship leader. He'll get it. <laughs> I don't see him. Oh, there he is. <laughs> He's already leaving. <laughs> so don't complain. Just throw the spear. He'll, he'll get the message, all right? <laughs> but anyway, David has enough sense to, you know what? I think Saul's... He's, you know, he's really, he's trying to kill me. I think the smart thing to do is go on the run. So David is finally on the run for his life. He has a team of people around him. He has 600 men with him, and they're fleeing. Saul continues to pursue him, and David flees. He changes locations. Saul finds out where he's at, and then he starts to, you know, sends out an entourage to go capture him and kill him, and David finds out about it, and he keeps escaping and so forth. But this is where uh, chapter 24 comes in at. David's in this particular cave. Saul finds out where he's at, and, 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 and they are out there with 3,000 elite troops, and David just has 600 troops. So it doesn't mention that they're elite troops, but he has what he has. And he's on the run. Finally, finally, as they're hiding in this particular cave, Saul needs a potty break. And he goes into the cave, the very cave he goes in to relieve himself is the cave that David and his men are hiding farther back in the cave. Now we're talking about to do that which is right, just, and fair. 
I'm also going to talk to you about when, when uh, conventional wisdom, in this sense you could say military might, military strategy and wisdom, and the, and, and the wisdom of God intersect and they're going polar opposite directions. David is in this cave. Saul has had numerous attempts on his life to kill him. He's, he's on the run, hiding from Saul. Saul is the king on the throne. David is anointed to be the king. So he's hiding in the cave. Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. And in verse 4, listen to this. Now's your opportunity. Who's saying that? David's team of men. Now think about David's team of men. It's 600, and they know that Saul has 3,000 elite troops pursuing them. It's in their best interest. It's in their personal best interest that if, for David to take out Saul. They're thinking because if Saul captures David, the troops are probably not only going to kill David, but they're going to kill all his men. So they're thinking, you know, we're in danger here as well. Here's our way out. Now's your opportunity. And this is something that we have to be, guard our hearts in because you can have people around you in these very emotionally charged moments of making a decision to do which, that which is right, just, and fair according to the commands of God, according to the, the word of God. And you can have uh, things looking like would be okay to do it. From a military standpoint, it made common sense for David to take this opportunity to take Saul out in this very vulnerable position. Just take him out. So go ahead and kill him. It made sense from a military strategist. And David's men are all saying, hey, this is your opportunity. And not only did they look at it from a military standpoint, then, hey, this is your opportunity. They whispered to him. Today, now they made it spiritual. Today, this has to be God. This has to be a God thing. This opportunity is just looking way too good. I mean, this, who else could bring God? Who else could, but God could bring Saul right here and put him in front of you in this vulnerable position? It's so easy for you to kill him. This, this is your opportunity. This is your day. The Lord has the God's in this. I mean, if God's in it, yay, why not? The Lord knows they said, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward. I mean, as you're reading that, you can feel the tension building. David's listening to his man, and he's creeping forward. And he's going to stab him. But he creeps forward, and the men are whispering to him, this is your day. This is your moment. Surely God's in this. And he again goes forward, and he cuts off a corner of his robe. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, what a wuss. Cuts off a corner of his garment. And not only did he cut it off, but now his conscience is bothering him. <laughs> this guy's really gone soft. I thought, David, you're anointed to be king. You're not, you're, not, you're not cut out for kingship. I mean, cutting off the robe and feeling guilty about the very guy that's been trying to kill you, throwing spears at you. Now you feel guilty for cutting his robe. But David, with a heart of integrity, was purposing to do the right thing. The right thing. Conventional wisdom will lead you in one direction, while God's wisdom will lead you in an opposite direction. Verse 5 tells us that uh, David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's rope. And, and, and he's stating this. He said, the Lord knows I, I shouldn't have done that to the Lord. 
the king, he said this to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. David is still honoring the fact that God had appointed Saul to be the first king of Israel. I mean, he has since turned on that, but David is still honoring that he is the king. He's the one that's in position of authority, and I'm going to honor him. I'm going to respect him. I'm going to serve as I am called to honor, to serve, and to respect. I'm not going to go against that. And not only did David's conscience bother him, and he made the statement that he's making, said, the Lord forbid that I should even be doing this, but now he's also restraining his men. In verse 7, these are the men that are whispering to him that now's your opportunity. Now's your opportunity. God is in this. Go for it, David. Killing, killing, killing. Verse 7 says, so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. He not only restrained himself, but he restrained his men and would not allow them to kill Saul. Everyone say restrain. To do that which is right, just, and equitable in life requires you to have restraint in your life. It also can be called self-control. Self-control. Because not only will your own emotions talk you into in highly charged situations to, to make the wrong decision, other people will whisper in your ear, this is a God thing, this is a God thing, this is your opportunity, don't blow it, this is, this is, your, this is your moment, this is your moment. But in your conscience, you know it's not. You know it's not the right thing, and you know it, and you feel it, even though other people are saying, this is your moment. Go for it. Go for it. Your conscience is saying no. Your mind is wanting to agree with what they're whispering, and you're wanting to do it. Your flesh is wanting to do it, but your conscience is alive to God, and God's voice and your conscience is saying no, no. Restrain yourself. Restrain yourself. Exercise self-control, also known as the fruit of the Spirit. David restrained these men and did not allow them to kill, to kill Saul. Psalm 106 in verse 3 tells us, There is joy for those who deal justly, who deal right, to, who do the right thing with others. So there's joy for those who deal justly with others and always do the right thing. So David had a sense of a restraint. He had that self-control. He was, he was willing uh, and able to, con- and to exercise self-control in a highly volatile, highly emotionally charged situation. The very man that was trying to kill him, tracking him down, hunting him, he now has the opportunity to take him out, but he controls himself and he doesn't do it. He's doing the right thing from a kingdom perspective. The second word I want you to make note of is perspective. David not only had restraint, but he also had perspective. Everyone say perspective. Perspective is able to see down the road. Not just living for the moment, not making decisions in that emotionally charged environment, but you have perspective to see how's this going to turn out? What's this going to look like three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? What's it going to look like? How am I going to look back on this? You know, perspective, you know, as a parent, you might say to your, to your child that's in second grade, you know, they have the opportunity to go to a, to go to a, 
an amusement park to go to Hershey Park, the chocolate world, and, and just have a whole day of fun with, their, with family and friends. Or you could say, do you know what? Or do you know what? You can do that, but you also could stay back with me because I'm going to clean the garage today, and I'm going to do a lot of yard work today. But if you'll stay here and do yard work and help me clean the garage, I promise you I'll buy you a brand new car when you turn 16. <laughs> Completely paid for now, a second grader is probably going to look at dad and say, <laughs> I'm going to the amusement park. I'm going to chocolate world. Because they don't have perspective. They have about as much perspective as that irate parent at a little league baseball game. Why are they screaming at the coach? Why are they giving the coach and the umpires a hard time? That was a strike. What are you, blind? because they don't have perspective. They don't realize that within a few hours, that game matters nothing to no one. I mean, it just, it's not important. It's not important. But they don't have that perspective. At the moment, your child's on the field, and from your vantage point, I mean, it's all about the game. It's all about winning. Even though everyone gets a participation trophy, I know that you know I know what you're feeling, because I was involved in that also. Yes, it's a participation trophy, but I still want my child's team to win. <laughs> All right? See, well, Pastor Ray just ventured off of doing the right thing at the right time. <laughs> no, I didn't. You're in it to win. I had a coach come by here one time. They called and said, hey, is the gym available? It's like a Saturday morning, like from, from noon to 1 o'clock. We have a game at 2 o'clock at a nearby school, and I just want to come by there and practice. And so I said, sure, come on by and practice with the kids and, and then go and play your basketball game. So they're in here. They're practicing. I stopped by to do something, and I'm talking to the coach. And then as, they're, as they're getting ready, Leo says, hey, kids, have a great game. And so I'm expecting to hear that you, that you had a great win. And the coach goes, no. He said, we don't talk about winning. We don't, we don't keep score. I thought, why are you here practicing before the game? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So if David had restraint and he had perspective, it doesn't bother me if a second grade child says, no, I want to go to Chocolate World, I want to go to the amusement park. I, you know, that doesn't shock me when someone's in second grade. But when my children are 26 years old and I still make a deal like that, you know what, if you'll stay and then you'll help me and then I'll reward you with, uh, I'll buy you your first house and say, no, no, I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> forget, that, forget, forget that first house, mortgage-free. I'm going to Disney World. Now I have a problem. Now we have a, now we have a young adult that's lacking perspective. And so that's what I'm talking about. Perspective is able to see the big picture. David was able to see the big picture. He was able to see the end game. How's this going to end? After all, we talk about legacy. What kind of legacy is that going to be for David when he's uh, down the road and his grandkids say, uh, Grandpa, Grandpa, uh, tell us that story again about how you took out King Saul. He had these 3,000 elite men, and you only had 600, and you took him out. Well, Grandson, sit down and let me tell you this story. I mean, I was in a cave, and Saul came in to do a potty break. He was very vulnerable. He had no tools. He had no bodyguards around him. And I killed him while he was going to the potty. (laughs) 
Grandpa, you did that? <laughs> oh, that's not very heroic. I mean, what type of legacy do you want to leave? Stop and think about what's this legacy going to be? How's this, what's this going to sound like three years down the road, five years down the road, 10, 15? What's it going to sound like then? So that's what perspective is. You're able to, you're able to have that, that, that ability to see farther down the road and, and just really recognize, you know what? I really need to restrain myself. I need to have a, a, a kingdom perspective and and. From a legacy standpoint, what's this going to sound like? What's this going to look like? What are people going to be saying about this 20 years from now? And so grace will always help you do the right thing. There's a grace for you in every situation. We don't have time to get into it today, but if you'll read uh, in 1 Corinthians talks about it, uh, Romans chapter 14 talks about it, primarily that, you know, Every, every food that you bless from the kingdom perspective, you bless the food, it's fine. You can go ahead and enjoy it. You can eat the meat, but don't eat the meat in front of someone else that's going to be offended and their conscience is going to be violated. If you know that you're going to offend someone and you're going to violate someone's conscience, then the Bible says, don't do it. And you can't just camp out and say, well, I have a right to eat what I want to eat. I have a right to drink what I want to drink, and it's no one else's business. You do. You do. As long as someone's not with you that's going to be offended by you eating or drinking what you're eating or drinking. If you know that you know that what you're doing is going to be offensive to someone, then the right thing to do, the biblical thing to do, is for you to restrain yourself and not do it. It's called grace. Grace will always think of the other person. You will always do the right thing for other people. So you can read that in Romans chapter 14. I encourage you to do that. In 1 Corinthians, I think, chapter 8, if I remember correctly, in there, Galatians talks about it. The grace of God will always lead you. It will empower you to do the right thing. It will give you the wisdom and the perspective of when you need to be doing what it is that you need to be doing. So again, Psalm 106 and verse 3, there is joy for those who deal justly with others and always do what is right. King Solomon asked in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, when he knew he was going to be taking over as king, he asked for wisdom to govern well and to know the difference between right and wrong. That's in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9. Ask for wisdom to govern well and to know the difference between right and wrong. We can be asking on a regular basis for wisdom to govern our lives, to have restraint and to have perspective so that I and we, we, that we can know the difference between right and wrong and recognize it and pay attention to your conscience. Your conscience is alive unto God. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, your conscience is alive to God. Pay attention to it. Don't violate it. I mean, I read that about David, the very man that was trying to kill him. And he cuts a corner of his garment off, and he feels guilty about that. I'm thinking, you don't need to feel guilty about that. But David felt guilty because this was the king. He was still on the throne, literally. <laughs> That's a Jeffrey Miller joke. I got that from Jeffrey. <laughs> 
So he's still on the throne, and when David recognized that his conscience was violating him, he, he backtracked, he, he, he backed up and said, no, we're, we're not going to do this, we're not going to follow through with this. And not only did he restrain himself, but he restrained those around him. Those around him were the ones that were whispering in his ear, this is your opportunity. Kill him. Kill him. Please kill him, because he's going to kill us. Kill him, David. Kill him. David's creeping forward. He's creeping in the cave. He's sneaking it upon Saul. And they're saying, kill him. This is your opportunity. Surely God is in this. And he cuts his garment. And he feels guilty. He said, oh, David. David. <laughs> you let us down. But David did the right thing. He did the right thing. He looked like the weaker person. The way up in the kingdom of God is always down. You're willing to bow down. You're willing to yield. You're willing to do the right thing when it looks like the weak thing. You're willing to do the right thing if it looks like the stupid thing. You're willing to do that which is right when everyone else is whispering, no, 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 go ahead, kill it, it's okay. We'll support you, we'll support you. But David's not answering to his men. His conscience is alive to God and he's obeying the voice of his conscience. Would you please stand? Ecclesiastes 8.5, the wise person will find a time and way to do what is right. Let's say that together. I will always find time and a way to do what is right. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you and I praise you for gracing us with an abundance of grace, strengthening us to do that which we feel in, the, in our flesh, in our mind, in our emotions that we can't do. But we want to grow. We want to be mature. We want to come to that place where we are doing the right thing. We are loving mercy, and we are walking humbly with the Lord our God. We want to be uh, like, the, like the people of the tribe of Issachar, where we know the signs of the times that we're living in, and not only do we know the signs of the times, but we always know the right course to take, the right decision to make, the right turn. And Lord God, we just thank you, and I praise you this morning for supernatural wisdom, as Solomon asked you, he said, give me wisdom to lead this people, and give me wisdom to understand and to know the difference between that which is right and that which is wrong. Give me the clarity to understand when the people that are surrounding me, my, my people on my right and on my left, they're, 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 they're my team. They're, my, they're, they're with me to protect me. They're my warriors. They're, you know, they're all about me. And then, but now they're whispering. They're encouraging me to violate my conscience. Give me the strength, Lord God, in a season like that when my, those that are closest to me are encouraged me to violate conscience. Give me the strength and the courage to never, ever violate my conscience, but to always do the right thing. Grace us, Lord God. Strengthen us in Jesus' name. Name above all names. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're with us this morning here in the auditorium or watching us online today, the right thing to do, 
from an eternal kingdom perspective is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you've never made that commitment to acknowledge Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, to acknowledge that uh, he came from heaven and he went to the cross and shed his innocent blood to, for, to cleanse us and to forgive us of all of our sin. The Bible tells us that if we believe that and we confess that, that we become a brand new person. Our sins are washed away and we get a brand new start. So I wanna encourage you to take a moment and do that this morning. And just confess Jesus as Savior. Let's just pray this prayer together. Pray it from your heart. You're praying it for your first time. Know that you know that you know there's a transformation taking place. Your life is being transformed in the very likeness and image of God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I believe he came from heaven to earth to go to the cross, that he shed his blood to forgive me of all my sin. Today, I do the right thing. I repent, and I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Come into my life. This day, I accept you, and I confess you as Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you've done that for your first time, we want to encourage you to stop by our our uh, kiosk out here, Next Steps Kiosk, and let the people know that are at the kiosk, or, or even myself, you can let me know. Uh, if you're with us online, please uh, stay online there and go ahead and send us an email. Just let us know that you prayed that prayer, that prayer of commitment and receiving Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. If you need any, if you need any other prayer for whatever it may be, uh, just in the, over in the back corner to my left, Jason will meet you back there. He has a team of people that will be happy to pray with you and agree with you concerning any need that, that you may have. Let's go ahead and take a moment, and let's lift up the summer camp right now. Starts tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up all the children that are coming tonight. Father, we pray that their hearts are open and receptive uh, to receive the word of the Lord. We pray for every volunteer, Lord, that so many hours have already been put in. Lord, we just pray for times of refreshing for every volunteer, for all the, the teachers and just everything that's taking place tonight, Monday night, and Tuesday night. We pray for favor with the weather because many of the activities are planned for outdoors. So I thank you, Lord God, that in Jesus' name, we lift up Lori Keller to you, Lord, as she heads it up. And, and for Tina, she heads up the, the preschool part of it, the, the kindergarten. We thank you, Lord God, for great grace as they provide leadership over these next several days. And we thank you, Lord, for a, a, just a very fruitful kingdom of God time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a very, very great rest of the day. And may the best be yours. God bless.